the mind mm-hmm. in the Srimad Bhagavatam it is the fifth canto there is chapters and chapters describing just the nature of the mind Bhagavad Gita sixth chapter also explains in brief summary the nature of the mind <clears throat> herein it is described that the soul is the witness and when the soul identifies with matter it comes under the influence of ahankar or false ego huh? now that false ego is when the soul identifies that I am the mind and I am the body now the mind is the reservoir of all desires the, the mind is simply gathering data through our experiences in life our conditionings in life and on the basis of the data that is inputted within our mind through our senses desires arise desire for wealth desire for food desire for various pleasures of the world and also the mind reacts with envy and revenge and anger you see the senses are the input and outlet for the impressions of the mind the mind wants but it cannot fulfill its own desires it needs the senses if you want the, the desire for food is not on the tongue the desire for food is in the mind therefore the signal of the mind goes to your tongue and your tongue goes wild wanting food but it's actually the mind that is trying to be satisfied when you want to see something beautiful it is the mind that has that longing to see and it is through the senses that we perceive so you see the mind is in between the senses and the soul therefore to control the mind is the most important function in human life Krishna says in Gita for one who has controlled the mind God is perceived immediately God is right there within our hearts when we learn to control our minds we simply see things as they are what does it mean to control our mind it means to redirect the energies of the mind within rather than without right now the senses are dictating to the mind but at the same time through the association of saintly persons in the scriptures God is dictating through the mu- to the mind right right now through my words your own soul is dictating to the mind correct know me love me and as soon as you walk out the door the senses are going to be dictating to the mind give me this give me this give me this so to the extent that the mind is under the influence of the spiritual energy to that degree the mind becomes purified the mind is like a mirror 
The soul is witnessing life through this mirror. Huh? If a mirror is covered by dust, what do you see? Dust. But what is the mirror meant to do? It is meant to reflect your own image. If a mirror is clean, you look in the mirror and you see yourself. When our mind is clean, when our mind is pure, the soul simply sees the reflection of itself through this mind. But when the mind is full of longings and attachments to satisfy the senses and the body, all we see is the endless, endless desires to satisfy the senses and the body. Therefore, how to cleanse the mirror of the mind? That is the great, great challenge within this human existence. And we see that many saintly teachers and many scriptures, they explain different processes. First thing is don't put any more dirt on the mirror of the mind. By engaging in, in activities which are not in harmony with material nature, or what people call sinful activities, we're just throwing more dirt on the mind and obscuring the true vision of ourselves more and more and more. According to the Vedas, these four sinful activities are, are basically categorized as illicit sex, sex out of marriage, intoxication, taking of drugs, alcohol. We're already intoxicated with an illusion and putting intoxication on top of another intoxication simply makes it very impossible. No meat eating, which is causing unnecessary cruelty and harm to innocent creatures. And no gambling, which is just simply whimsically completely becoming anxiety-ridden by something that has nothing to do with truth. And at the same time, positively, by associating with persons who are actually living according to the loving principles of the soul. What you associate you with, you become like. That is also a law of nature. We're speaking science because we're speaking everything in terms of laws that can be proven. If you put an iron rod in fire, it will become red hot, just like fire. If you put that same iron rod in ice, it's going to become ice cold, just like ice. And if you touch it, you'll see. What you associate with, you become like. There's a saying in English, show me who, you are, who your company is and I'll tell you everything about who you are. Huh? If we associate with persons who are enlightened, we will become enlightened. If we associate with persons who are in great illusion, our illusion will become deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. <clears throat> if we associate with God, we become godly. And in every great scripture of the world, it is explained that God is within his name. Therefore, a simple method of always keeping our mind in that purified state of the association with the all-pure is to chant the name of God. Of course, as you know, within our own tradition, we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. This is not a sectarian religious concept. It is a very, very scientific method of associating our mind with a pure sound vibration. And that pure spiritual sound vibration cleanses the dust from the mirror of the mind and allows the soul to see itself through the mind, to see its eternal glory. So yes, your question is very important. To understand the nature of the mind and how we should deal with the mind is is most important part of our life. Yes. Yes, of course. Is this the same mind as in the last birth? Let's do one at a time. After. does carry all impressions from one birth to the next. You see, what reincarnation means is that when the mind has desires to enjoy this world, the mind carries the soul to the next physical body. Your mind goes with you birth after birth after birth after birth after birth. The bodies change, but the mind is not killed with the body. Liberation means when the mind becomes pure. Reincarnation means when the mind has unfulfilled desires and therefore it must take another body according to its actions and desires to fulfill those desires or to accept the consequences of of previous actions. You see, the mind is a storehouse of all the impressions we have in all of our previous lives as well as this life. Even the brain, which is just a physical object. The mind is not the brain. Understand, the mind is a subtle object, but it is it is manifesting its desires and its experiences through the brain. Just like there's the computer and there's the printout sheet. The brain is like the printout. But there's far more within the computer bank than what's being printed out, right? There might be hundreds and thousands of informations in the computer bank, but only a few at a time are coming to the surface and put on the screen. The brain is like that screen. 
and even the brain. Modern science says that practically 90% of the brain is not utilized, right? What to speak of the mind? You see, our memory is very limited. And therefore, our lessons, what you're saying, our lessons and what we learn in life is not so much from what we remember, but from the impressions that we have undergone. Just like in psychology, it is often said that the most impressionable and formidable years within the life of a human being is from the age one to four. Now, the child doesn't really know what's going on between the ages of one to four. He's just absorbing impressions. And those impressions form his character more than all of his education for the next 20 or 30 years, where he's remembering and memorizing things. Correct? So these impressions are very powerful in influencing our life. Now, how many things do you remember that you did when you were three years old? Obviously, there were 365 days during your three-year-old pastime. And there was 24 hours in each day. So you did a lot of things when you were three. You did millions and millions and millions of things. You had millions of thoughts and desires and activities during that one year. Can you remember anything? What about when you were two? What about when you were one? What about when you were in the womb of your mother? Now, because you do not remember, does that mean you were never one, two, three, or four years old? The most, form, the most formulative years of your life, you don't remember anything that happened. The impressions are guiding you even today. The impressions are what you are today to a large extent, but you cannot remember any of it. So if you cannot remember 4, 3, 2, 1, how do you think you'll remember before that? Your last life was before that. So you may not remember, but the impressions, the conditionings, that you underwent in your previous lives, your desires and activities are what formulate your, the characteristics in your being today. And the lessons that you learned, those impressions are still within you today. And the potential lessons that you neglected, you have to accept the consequences today. Is there any other questions? When we say that the soul is the, is the current which runs our body or uh, supplies the current, then uh, why is it that the soul and uh, our desires, I mean, why do they go at different tangents? When it is in the power of the soul to control the body, why is it that a desire go in different directions than the soul? When it is the basic nature of the soul to be happy, how is it that we go on to do other things and not be happy? <laughs> there is an example that the body is like a chariot. And the senses, we have five senses, the eyes, the nose, the ears, the tongue, 
the sense of touch. These five senses are like five horses which are pulling the body. The mind is the charioteer. No, I'm sorry. The mind is the reins. The minds are the reins. You know what reins are? They're the strips of leather or rope that hold the horses. The intelligence is the charioteer. And you are the passenger, the soul. Now this is the condition that we're in. When the horses are uncontrolled, what's going to happen to us? They're all going to be pulling in their own directions and our destiny is unknown. How to control the horses? You must control the horses with the reins, which is the mind. But what is it that controls the mind? The intelligence. When we utilize our intelligence to control our mind and thus control the senses, then we can always be in pursuance in the direction of the truth or the spiritual goals of life. Now what is our intelligence? You are all students. Where has your intelligence come from in your studies? From what you've learned, from what you've heard from your professors, from what you've heard from the books, right? So therefore, when the intelligence hears from God, or hears from those persons who are close to God, on the basis of that direction, the intelligence directs the mind, that the intelligence controls the mind. The mind says, eat this. You say, no, no, it's not good. That's your intelligence working. The difference between the mind and the intelligence is the intelligence discriminates. The mind simply desires and reacts to the impulses of the senses. When you go down the street and you see something that's very pleasing, your senses just are triggered. They, they immediately start vibrating and your mind says, I want it, I want it, I must have it. Now it's your intelligence to decide, is it good, is it bad? Is this really what I want or not? What will be the consequences? That is your intelligence. The intelligence must discriminate and control the mind. And when the intelligence hears from spiritual sources of what is truth and what is illusion, what is to be done and what is not to be done, then the intelligence, which is the driver of that chariot, will take the whole chariot in the direction that the soul wants to go. You see, the soul is supposed to dictate to the driver, take me here. The soul, you have, uh, you have lost contact with the soul. Your very soul is speaking through the mouths of the great saints. Your soul is speaking through the scriptures, explaining where you should go, how to get there, and where to go. When your intelligence is being dictated by those words, by the words of Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, Guru means the spiritual teacher, like the professor. 
Sadhu means all the great spiritual teachers who have taught the same thing. And Shastra means the, the scientific books of knowledge which explain. The soul speaks through Guru Sadhu Shastra. And when the intelligence takes those directions and holds the reins and keeps the horses in that direction, then ah, we can actually, what you are saying, we can progress forward toward the real goals and the real fulfillment of our human life. But if the intelligence is not being directed in this way, then the mind will simply be dragged from one place to the next by the uncontrolled horses of the senses. And our body follows behind. Huh? Yes. There isn't a difference. <clears throat> if with an open mind, <clears throat> not with a fanatical sectarian approach, but with a very open philosophical mind, if you study the various scriptures of the world, you will say that there is no contradiction. There is differences in, in the quantity and in the details. <clears throat> For instance, <clears throat> In the first standard, a child is learned, it's taught that 2 plus 2 is 4, and 4 plus 4 is 8. Now in college, do they teach you that? They are teaching you advanced calculus and all these things. Now, can you expect a first standard child to understand calculus? And is a college student going to waste his time with the addition and subtraction tables? Is one right and is one wrong? Are they contradicting one another? They're simply explaining it in different ways according to the capacity for a person to understand. And also, so you see the scriptures of the world, various scriptures are teaching according to different quantities of and also the different scriptures teach according to the particular language and culture of the place. And when Krishna was speaking Bhagavad Gita, Sanskrit was the language of India, so he spoke in Sanskrit. Now if Jesus would have spoke in Sanskrit, nobody would have understood him. He spoke in Hebrew. That was the language of the time in the Middle East. Now, if Muhammad would have spoken Hebrew in Saudi Arabia, no one would have understood him. He spoke in Arabic. The same message, a different language. And there are various cultural forms that were present at the time. So they were teaching the rituals according to those forms as well. But the essence, there is no difference. You will find in very strong indications of reincarnation in the Bible and the Quran as well. But it's not much explained. But the principle, the essential principle is that if you love God in this life, you will return to God. 
And if you don't love God in this life, to the degree of your sins you must suffer. That is in every scripture. And that's the basic principle. And if you want to go into more detail, you have to approach those books which deal with it more scientifically. But in the essential principle, there's no contradiction. Every scripture is teaching that the soul is eternal. And that after death, if you love God, you return to God. Where there is an eternal life full of bliss and full of knowledge. And if you don't, you have to suffer or enjoy according to the consequences of what you have done. Exactly how it is explained you enjoy, whether you call it hell or whether you call it heaven or whether you call it another form of life. These are details. But there's no contradiction. Yes. of the Narmada River? Ah. You see, I am not very familiar with the problem and based on the data that you have given me, I'm not really qualified to give you an analytical explanation in regard to the um, current situation. But as a philosopher, we're not so concerned with the analytical condition of the current situation. We are concerned with the root cause of problems. <clears throat> you see, if you have a disease in your blood, you may get boils and rashes. Now the immediate thing that should be done is that you put some sort of a ointment or some sort of compress to relieve the itching and make that particular symptom go away. But that is not enough. Because if the disease is still in the blood, it's just a matter of time till it will, it will come out in another part of your body, and another, and another, and another. Politics, social welfare, what this is, is dealing with the symptoms of the problems, trying to create some relief or some solution to the immediate manifestation. But we see that however many problems the politicians of the world solve, they just come up in another place even worse. Right? It's like, what was it, about a year ago? The whole world was dancing 
I don't know in India so much, but in, in the Western world, because they decided to destroy the Berlin Wall. This was like the greatest breakthrough in politics in 20 years. It was the end of the Iron Curtain. It is the end of slavery for the people of East Germany, which symbolized the slavery of all those people behind the Iron Curtain throughout the world. When they were breaking that Berlin Wall, the whole world, it was the front page news that, that alas, peace and freedom has finally come in this world. The end of the Cold War that has been going on for over 20 years in Europe and has been a threat of world war ever since. So it was through politics we solved a problem, a symptom of a problem, but then what happened? A few months later, somebody invaded Kuwait. Right? And then everybody, this is a hundred times worse than the Cold War was. You see, through politics, through social adjustment, through philanthropy, the best we can do is solve the problem of one particular immediate symptom. What you're talking about, this problem, is a symptom. But what is the root cause? We must go right to the source, the root of the disease, and strike there. The root of the disease is ignorance. Ignorance that we do not understand how to live in harmony with the laws of God. Ignorance of our true self, which is full of knowledge and full of bliss. We have so many speculations of what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is not right. Whether it's through legislature or whether it's through our own society's opinions or whether it's through our own ideas. We're all trying to figure out the best way to live. But there's nothing to figure out for the soul because the soul is full of knowledge. The soul is part of God. The soul is full of love. The problem in all these conditions is greed and envy and excessive material attachments trying to be fulfilled. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, but if you're not scratching my back, then I'll stamp you out. It's a dog-eat-dog world. This is not the quality of the soul. This is quality of the mind that has lost touch with the soul. Hmm? What this world needs is Krishna consciousness or God consciousness. Then automatically all the problems of the world will be solved because there will be no more greed. There will be only love and peace emanating from every living being. Now you may say, well, this is a very idealistic idea but it's impossible because if I become God-conscious, how am I going to change the world? You can continue with your philanthropic work, but if you do it in God-consciousness, you do not know how much influence you could have. And besides that is the integrity of every human being to evaluate, am I living for the truth or am I living for an illusion? If you are not a part of the solution, you are part of the problem. And that is your and my 
choice in this life. The truth is powerful. If we live for the truth and realize the truth, we can have an immense, immense, immense impact on the world, making a real solution to the problems of the world. Just like our Akrura who is sitting here, he is a medical doctor. And we have a team of many, many medical doctors. And they are going into the ghettos and they are helping poor people. They are solving diseases. But along with that, giving free medicines and giving free encouragement and free treatment, free eye camps where they're taking the cataracts out of the eyes and giving lenses and all these things. These people would go blind, many would die. This is symptoms of problems, physical problems. But along with it, they're giving God's love. They're giving the compassion of God. And they're giving information to these people, not in a sectarian way. Whether you are a Muslim, whether you are a Hindu, whether you are a Christian, whether you are a Buddhist, just follow these, these universal divine principles of love of God. And in this way, the root of all your problems will be purified. And in your natural healthy condition, you can do great things for this world. The great necessity is for Krishna consciousness or God consciousness. And it cannot wait for this political party to decide this or that political party to decide that or to pass this law or that law. Huh? Yes. You see, the lower species of life, the plants and the trees, the aquatics, the insects, the reptiles, the birds, <laughs> the beasts, these are the species of life that are below human. There is a natural order of evolution. But it is not evolution of the species, it is evolution of the soul through the species. It is, a, it is a very specific order in which reincarnation takes place. From one particular species, it must go to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, until it comes to the point of the human life. Yes. Human life is a junction, because the animals have no freedom of choice. They, therefore, they are, they are living the results of their previous karma, the reactions. But they are not producing any karma. Why? Because they have no freedom of choice. Every species will act exactly the same way. Have you ever seen a vegetarian tiger? Does the tiger have the faculty of his intelligence to decide, well, why should I cause unnecessary harm to this deer? When the tiger is hungry, he will simply jump on the deer and eat it. Have you ever seen a carnivorous cow?